0: Welcome to Kick Your Butts, a show where excuses, limits, and boundaries go to die, where moving through everything that's holding you back is the key to stepping onto your infinite path and achieving the success you deserve in life, business, and relationships. It's time to take those butts and kick them into oblivion. Now, here's your host, Susan Desensi. Welcome back to another episode of Kick Your Butts, where we come together to obliterate your boundaries, excuses, limitations, and past conditioning so that you can step into your full potential and infinite possibility. I am so excited to be here every week, and I so appreciate you always coming back week after week to hear the phenomenal guests that I have on, the things we talk about, and the ways they have overcome. As I say every single week, I am super excited to have this very special guest in the house today. She has a very unique story, and this may be a topic that is, shall we say, something many people are familiar with and the impact of it, but... She has a unique way of approaching it and she overcame something herself. So I am super excited to have Dr. Elizabeth Hughes here in the house with us today. This is what's interesting. She's a Stanford trained physician with more than 25 years of clinical experience. All right, so we always think of this Western medical model, right? These physicians, they're, they're just kind of trained in this particular way, and they only have this mindset, but not Dr. Elizabeth. After treating thousands of patients with stress-related illnesses and having her own life nearly ruined by stress and chronic anxiety, she realized that the conventional medical approach is completely inadequate to treat stress-related conditions, and she vowed to find a better solution. Her quest led her to study non-Western systems of health and healing, placebo research, and the emerging sciences of epigenetics, one of my favorite topics, and psychoneuroimmunology. And in the process, she became a registered yoga teacher, a health coach, and a practitioner of several energy medicine modalities. And that is what I find so uniquely interesting, is she is a Stanford-trained physician, and she is still open and adapting and adopting other modalities. That is so cool. Now, Dr. Hughes has developed the stress antidote system, which is a unique process to turn off the body's harmful stress response. And don't we all need that? And she has helped clients all over the world overcome the root cause of their stress and reverse symptoms of stress-related illness. Thank you so much for being in the house here with us today, Dr. Hughes. How are you? I am totally fine. And you know, call me Elizabeth. Elizabeth, okay. Well, (laughs) Absolutely. I always want to honor people's professional kind of titles if if that's important to them. Thank you for that, Elizabeth. (laughs) You're welcome. welcome.
1: Thank you. It's so good to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you here. So what I'd love to find out more about is a little bit of your story and kind of what what happened, whatever you'd like to share, to really understand what led you into this.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So I had chronic anxiety for years without realizing it was abnormal. Like, I don't think a person can get through medical school without having an anxiety disorder.
0: Wow! Really?
1: You know, and that's that's just how it is. There is so much pressure, so much you have to know, so much riding on your every word, the whole way through. That you, it's really, really hard to ever relax. And I thought that's what life was supposed to be like. Wow! Like it didn't. It never occurred to me that I should feel anything different than that but you can't go around with that much anxiety all the time before you start to get some of those common things that people talk about brain fog chronic fatigue you can't be alert all the time but then you're you've got insomnia so even if you're sleeping it's not restful sleep i started having some chronic pain in one of my hips and then you know for no good reason and no matter what I did, you know, I stretch more, I stretch less, I walk more, I walk less, and you know, the the pain wouldn't go away. And finally, panic attacks started, and that was horrible. I, I had a couple car accidents because I was having panic attacks. Really, my children in the car.
0: Oh my gosh! I'm so glad that w- were <laughs> you all okay.
1: We were all okay, okay. All low speed, all stupid things, but that tunnel vision comes, and yeah. You See.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, so I'm experiencing all of this, and I'm thinking, well, I so I talked with my doctors and I talked with my medical colleagues a little bit about what was going on, and they really said, Hey, eh, you're perfectly fine. This is how it is, like you're you're doing okay. And there was no sort of acknowledgement that this wasn't really a normal way to live. And I think it's because they were all feeling something similar, or <laughs> pretty close. And isn't that interesting? When this
0: becomes our everyday kind of experience, and we do believe it's normal. As as a side, and and I want to you know hear more. When I was working for a hospital system, as well as I had two practices, and I carried a pager twenty four seven, and the pager was going off like crazy. And my boss came to me and said, you know, how are you managing everything? I said, Oh, fine, fine, fine. And he said, you know, you sure you're okay? You're not, you're not feeling, you know, the stress of it. And I said, no. And and he said something critical to me, which is what you're just talking about. He said, Do you think it's possible that this has become such the normal for you right now that you're just seeing it as normal and and it really isn't? And I said, No, 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 I'm fine. And Later that afternoon, as I was sitting in my office thinking about it, I went, "Oh my gosh, this is absolutely not the normal, and it has become such the normal for me that I'm seeing it as normal." And so I'm right. like, "No, I'm fine," when really I wasn't.
1: Right, and you slide into it like yeah. like it just happens so little bits, and you th- and there's um I don't know if it's for you, but for me there was a certain degree, at least in medicine, of that macho, "I can handle it." Ah. Mm-hmm. I've got this. And to ask for help is, we we all need help, but your help can't be seen as a weakness. I need help because I need another hand, not because I can't handle it.
0: Right. Yes, that is something. Now, did you find that as a physician, what was your your area of expertise, if you don't mind me asking as a physician? I'm a dermatologist. Okay, dermatologist. Did you now? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, stress related, right? You know. Oh yeah, issues? and
1: and and patients would come to me, and they still do, saying, "Do you think this has to do with stress? Does stress have anything to do with this?" And what I would tell people was. Yeah, it might be related to stress, but I can't prescribe Hawaii. That was my like, <laughs> ha, 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 gallows humor yeah. thing. Like we're all in this together and I can't get any better. Oh, my dog's decided to come and join us. Hi, puppy. <laughs> oh, oh, I wish you all could see her puppy. So cute. <laughs> So so what happened what happened even though i'm in so much stress and so much distress mm-hmm. i still have my logical mind on and one day at lunch i was reading a stack of medical journals that i hadn't read you know i was behind so i was taking my lunch time when i was going to relax to catch up on medical journals right and i read two articles in a row the first was a The Journal of the American Medical Association, every few weeks publishes some medical retrospective, like a hundred years ago in medicine, this happened. Usually so that you can see how far medicine has come or you can talk about sort of like diagnostic clues or or something like that. Yeah. So the the article I read was about a condition called Cushing's disease. And you may be familiar, but for people who don't know, Dr. Harvey Cushing, who's one of the you know founders of Western medicine, or really one of the, like you know perfect guru doctors, discovered a, a condition where a woman had excess adrenal hormone release because of a tumor in her brain, and her this first patient's symptoms were obesity, high blood pressure difficulty in conceiving. She didn't get her period. She couldn't get pregnant. She had acne. She had thin skin. She had stretch marks and extra hair growth along with other things. And the whole point of the article was, wasn't it interesting that this person figured out there was a tumor in her head that caused that? And I was like, wait, at least 50% of the people I saw this morning had one or more of these medical conditions. Ah. Uh. And I said, when did this go from being a rare set of symptoms, a rare syndrome to something that's normal, to something I'm seeing every day? That combination of they didn't have a way to test for diabetes at the time, but I'm sure if they tested it so the diabetes, obesity, poor wound healing acne and you know high blood pressure how many of us have that right all right so that was the first article i read and then the second article i read in that stack of articles was an article about the impending physician shortage that we don't have enough doctors in the world in the country to take care of all the illness oh And I, and and it's a real problem. Like they're predicting that there's just not gonna be enough doctors. Really? Yes, doctors are not being trained at a fast enough rate and there's a whole variety of things around this. But because I had just read that article, I thought maybe it's not that we don't have enough doctors. Maybe we have too much illness. Yes. Maybe what we've come to accept as normal is completely not normal. And I started to look at how many of the conditions, just sort of slowly and gradually, how many of the conditions I was seeing could be attributed to an elevated level of adrenal hormones, which is your stress hormones. And when you come down to it, it's Everywhere it's in everything, it you know, elevated levels of those hormones affect your immune system, your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your digestion, your muscles. There is no cell in your body that doesn't have receptors for the stress hormones. Wow, and so anytime you say, I'm feeling stressed, every cell in your body feels that and responds, like, goes into, like, basic survival mode.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: You know, and that sort of, I wish I could say that it flipped a switch and I was, like, all better and I fixed everything and I resisted that realization for probably four years before I said, I really have to do something about this.
0: Now, do you think that was because of that kind of, you know, We'll say macho, as yes. you kind of said before, but that kind of macho attitude, which was why I was curious as a dermatologist, did you find that there were you know patients that would come to see you finally, reluctantly and be kind of like, "Oh, it got so bad now, you know, look, I just I thought it was this, I thought it was that, I don't you know, but now I'm here because this issue has just gotten so much worse, and so that's really indicative of all of us who kind of push things off. One of the examples I always used to use with clients was like, take an appendicitis, right? If I have this pain and we have these beautiful warning systems in the body, right? That tell us there's a problem, emotional body, physical body, all of it, but we don't pay attention. And so I have this appendicitis and let's say I'm a man. And, and I don't want to stereotype, but, you know, maybe men are a little bit less likely to run off to the doctor for a little pain than maybe some women are or vice versa, whatever. But let's, let's take the, the big burly guy who's like, ah, oh, I'm fine. It's just a little gas or it's something I <laughs> eat. And then he's, you know, on the floor with a burst appendicitis, you know, and he's got a high fever. And then he's finally going, I think there's a problem. <laughs> so, like, why do we do that? Especially as a physician, you understand why do you think we hold on to that kind of macho attitude that just says I can handle this and I don't want to be that's weak if I if I show I need help.
1: Oh, why? Wow, I don't I don't I don't know. That's way complex question. Uh, I I believe that at least for physicians is we're supposed to be one hundred percent authorities. And that mm -hmm. for me, I'm not allowed to make a mistake. Ah. For me, mistakes are, I mean, there are consequences. People can get sick, but worse than that, I live in this constant fear of if I make a mistake or if I don't, if I miss something, if I don't completely cover my butt, you know, (laughs) medical legally. I my career can be ruined for one simple overlook and I think that has something to do about that but that has a bigger that gets into a bigger set of ideas about where does illness come from and how can we take responsibility. And I put that into like the ability to respond. Not- yes. That's what I
0: always say. Thank you. I'm not crazy See people. I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one You're who right. talks like
1: that and says that. Thank you. Thank you. You're Liz. welcome. You're welcome. So we all have the ability to respond to these things in a way that is healthful, health promoting versus not. But as a doctor, there's responsibility comes with the idea of blame, that burden of not being able to to slip.
0: Now I'm going to ask you maybe a delicate question. Um, sure. I hope you're willing to answer. Yeah. Do you think that your medical training kind of entrenched that in you more deeply or, or or put it in you entirely? Or was that something you already, when you went to medical school, were kind of feeling a little like asking for help is a little bit of a sign of weakness and I can't make mistakes and things like that? Wow.
1: Um. I think there was probably something there already that made it so that I could, when I got to medical school, it didn't seem weird. Okay. And and you know the reflection on this is that my my daughter is now a freshman in college. And her she's going to a very different school than I went to. Her freshman year experience is so different than mine. And it may be that this is, you know, 30 years later and that she's got a totally like college has changed. But my freshman year college experience was you know, take these classes, you know, and you'll get graded. And that was it. There was, you know, people just didn't go and ask professors and, and, you know, and I don't know, maybe this is because I went to a super macho college or
0: something like that. <laughs> Could be. Well, no, I mean, that's cu- culturally then it kind of sets the stage. And that's, right. exactly. I think that's part of the issue. And so curiously then to, to kind of finish that, because I always hate leaving a thought left unspoken and kind of like people go, wait, well, what happened with that? So what has your daughter's experience been like?
1: Oh, her experience has been that she's got people who are not just, not looking out for her in a sort of a parenting sort of way, mm-hmm. but making sure that there's like doors open for opportunities for her to to expand what she, her knowledge and her experience beyond the classroom. She wants to major in physics. And so, you know, the physics department is the most welcoming place. They hold weekly physics lectures for students and you don't have to be a grad student to go there. They want to have the non-declared freshmen and sophomores who are even vaguely interesting. Come on in. We're having a, you know, we're having like a Christmas party, you know, let's do secret Santa and talk about a physics paper. And I was like, wow.
0: So they're demystifying kind of the stereotypes that have been held from the past, maybe even from a from a kind of male-dominated perspective, as well as creating a less stressful atmosphere.
1: Right. And and she does go to a women's college. I mean, this was, you oh, know, okay. so that might be part of it, but the the faculty are sort of equally split men and women. So it's not just women. It's like the, the right. men are actually, you know, stepping up and doing this too. And, you know. Nice.
0: Yeah. So, all right, so you're in medical school, you know, you're feeling these, you know, p- p- now having these panic attacks. What happened then? I mean, you reached out and, you know, they're saying, oh, you're fine. And then kind of where did you go from there? I mean, how did you get to this place where you, as a trained physician, even if it took a period of time, finally said, wow, this is just not complete in and of itself. I need to look at other things
1: outside of the medical model. Yeah. So I had been practicing yoga for quite a while before this. And I think I really sort of deepened my yoga practice and I decided to do a yoga teacher training. Okay. And what happened to me was that process, and it's really intense to do a yoga teacher training, but to, of actually feeling what it felt like to feel healthy and normal again, even if there were only glimpses of it, even if it only came in, you know, 10 second glimpses in the middle of an eight hour day of training, I was like, oh my goodness, this is different. Wow. <laughs> like, I feel well. And I oh don't remember that. Yeah. I've <laughs> right.
0: Because like, right. again, it's, 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 the non-normal. I mean, everything was normal. So this is the way I'm supposed to feel. This is the way I always feel. And now all of a sudden you get this glimpse and you're like, wait, that what, what it's possible? Right. Is this like isn't can, the normal? Like, yeah. Right, that's crazy. exactly. Yeah.
1: And and understand that this had now taken me, you know, years of yoga practice and meditation and and like, and it took years to actually get a glimpse of that. And soon after, in my medical practice, I was working for uh, the precursor to Kaiser up here in Seattle. It's now been bought by Kaiser, but uh, you know, so the large multi-specialty medical group. And just a few days after this experience, uh, the administrators came into my office and says, all right, so you're not really hitting your targets of work. I was working furiously, like 10 hours a day seeing patients. So we need you to squeeze another patient in. And this was right before the 4th of July holiday. And I was like... That's it. So on the 4th of July, I wrote my own little declaration of independence and I quit that job. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> because because it, I knew that there was some way that I wasn't supposed to feel and that they were going to have me sort of like pull me in this direction. Like you're feeling stressed out so you can feel a little more stressed out and do work that's harder. I knew I wasn't going to actually be a better doctor. It was going to make me a worse doctor by having to squeeze in an extra person. See another person, they only take five minutes. It wasn't, you know, that wasn't serving anyone. Nobody's happy under that circumstance.
0: Right. So now are you still feeling symptoms at this time too, and having chronic pain and different issues like that?
1: Yes. Yes. So, so I am, but I'm feeling better. And, and the. The process then really was a process of me restoring myself and really making sure that I could hone in on this brief glimpse of feeling of feeling well. And then using my scientific mind and using myself as my own lab, which I love about the ancient yogis, that's what they did. They would just use themselves as their own lab, right. Right? yeah, great, right. figuring out what it was that was making me not feel well, not you know going off kilter, and there were some things that were very specific to me. I was listening to your your interview with Jessica as I, you know, the, it was aired in early January and she was talking about forgiveness. And so a lot of this was about forgiveness. I had to forgive myself for um, getting this far down the hole. I had to forgive myself for, you know, forgive my ex-husband for being so awful. That was the thing that that forgiveness of my ex-husband was the thing that made my hip pain go away, like instantly, like really gone, gone.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I love hearing stories like this because you know, I've done a couple episodes on a variety of different kind of energy modalities. One on cellular memory, and I I do some side work in cellular healing and cellular memory level work. And energy is, you know, we know from physics. And ask your daughter; you can verify yeah, this, absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that energy never ever dies; it just changes forms. So, my gosh, if we have an experience that's whether we call it big t trauma or little t trauma you know and and i not and i do a lot with big t and little t trauma but it's those what i call the hidden little traumas it's the it's the you know my teacher said great job sue but you could have done a little better it's the i had to move and i lost my best friend and it's i lost my puppy when i was 7 or my kitty when i was 12 you know whatever it might be these are pieces that create feelings and experiences and thoughts, right? And energetically, they're stored and tied to various experiences in the body from a physiological perspective. Absolutely. And and we all think, see, this is the biggest issue that I've always had with somewhat, to some degree, the medical model, is it's like we have these separate physicians who take care of the body as a separate entity And it's like, when did we stop becoming a whole system? Right. Right? Right. And so then we have these energetic pieces that are tied. So I love hearing stories like, I went into a place of forgiveness for my ex, and my hip pain went away. Yeah. And and I love hearing it from you as a medical physician, (laughs) right? right? Because I'm like, see, she's not that woo-woo, energetic, let's sit with our, you know, legs crossed and say, oh, man, yeah, all day long. And it's it's gonna work that way. You are scientifically and classically trained.
1: Right. And so you've got to believe that I was as shocked as anyone can be. Oh, I imagine. Like, you know, like when I had this moment, it's like I am holding on to so much anger. I am going to forgive him right here, right now. And then I got up and walked away from where I was with no limping. And and, I, and it never came back. Never came back. I used to eat those Costco sized bottles of of ibuprofen i would go through a box you know a bottle of those you know two three months i still keep the last bottle i use which was in it's dated expired in 2013. wow (laughs) i keep it around and that's the last time i've needed any pain medicine
0: wow that is crazy but i love hearing those stories okay so so you you you're starting to dive into this now you were already a yoga teacher then. So at this point you've already become a yoga teacher. Then what kind of was the progression that led you into eventually kind of creating the stress antidote
1: system? Right. Well, so one thing happened right before I left my job, I had, you know, I had to give 90 days notice. That's what you do. You can't get quit and give two. you know, I gave 90 days notice. And then what happened in that interim time was I treated a really remarkable patient. She was a woman in her 80s who was from what we all call perfectly healthy. She took an aspirin a day, but lived on her own, did her own shopping, played golf a couple times a week. I mean, what we all want to have. She was awesome. But she had had a minor injury to her leg about six months before she came to me. She walked into the corner of her dishwasher door when it was open, and she nicked the side of her leg. Yeah, we've all done it. We all know what it's like. Well, this spot didn't heal. And so she, you know, she did first aid stuff and it didn't heal. So she went to a doctor who put her on antibiotics and it didn't heal. And she went back and she got different antibiotics and back and forth and back and forth. And by the time she had seen me, she had seen four different primary care physicians, gotten three rounds of antibiotics. She'd seen a vascular surgeon to try to figure out if there was something wrong with her, her circulation. And for 10 weeks, she had gone to wound care twice a week and gotten these elaborate bandages that are designed for burn victims to try to get this ulcer healed. And it had gone from a scratch to something deep, like we were looking at tendon there. Wow. Wow. And she came to me with the question, not how can we heal this ulcer, but she had developed a contact allergy to one of the bandages. Mm. And the question was, she's going to need surgery to close this up. So tell me what I can put on her as a bandage. And so the the woman told me that this, everything she had done in this sort of, you know, in, in longer detail. And then she said, and it was a sort of remarkable thing, this bright eyed you know intelligent spark of life woman said <sighs> everyone tells me i'm old and it's never going to heal so i guess i just have to get used to this and something in me because i'd already done all of this sort of background work said i think i swore i don't normally i'd never swear around patients but i think i said that's bullshit you can do it fine and you could just see her go from this deflated person to this this awake person she said really No one's ever told me that. Wow. And so the long story short, I actually didn't treat her with anything other than plain Vaseline and a gauze wrap because everything, her whole leg was an inflamed mess and I couldn't put anything on her. I needed basically to do a blank slate. I asked her to come back and three weeks later, three weeks later, she unwrapped the bandage. She apologetically says, I don't know if I did this right. (laughs) And I look at it, and not only is all of the rash that was on her leg gone, the ulcer that had been there for six months was completely healed. Wow. Like, she had had probably 10, maybe 100,000 dollars worth of medical treatment. The ulcer had only gotten worse. One moment of saying, "You're not too old to heal." Boom, it's better." Wow. And so, so you asked me what my next progression was, what I started to think, what are these subconscious beliefs that's keeping us in a state of stress from a physiological point of view? What this belief of I'm old, I can't heal. That was the next step that I went to. I needed to work on those subconscious beliefs around this.
0: So that, wow, yeah. So, what did you find were some, were you still struggling yourself with? Yes, it was getting better, but were you finding still, because you're still working, Right. That you're still dealing with higher levels of stress yourself, or was it starting to get better as you were putting into practice some of these things
1: you're becoming aware of? It was getting much better as I was putting things into practice. So that's when I was trained in one of the uh, belief-changing modalities that I use, something called Psyche. And I started to work with people with that specifically. And I started to realize that there's this set of beliefs uh, like, I'm too old to get better. Everybody in my family has this condition. I can't hope that I won't get it. My immune system is weak. Once I've had an injury, I'll never be as good as new. All of these subconscious beliefs sort of stir up our survival mechanisms. they cause this undercurrent of stress that we don't recognize yeah and and people don't realize that that we're you know I think ninety five percent of people over the age of about ten are walking around with these beliefs, and they're oh, in, sure. you know we're we're all we we develop them because everybody around us thinks them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and, th- you know, that's kind of a big foundation of my work, right? And and why I really started this podcast was because I wanted people to understand by bringing guests on, by talking about these things and having these conversations and real conversations, right? You know, to to understand that all of these you know, we hear, oh, you're you're rereading the same story, write a new chapter of your story, and this is the story you're narrating. But it's like people, it's important to understand where the stories came from. And the stories came from the experiences we had in our family units where we learn these meanings and associations. They become these perceptions that then develop into beliefs, Because of additional experiences and commentaries and comments that are made, you know, throughout our family units and our experiences as a child and a young adult and an adult and an older adult, like, I'm too old. Oh, I've hit this age. I'm supposed to have high blood pressure. Oh, wait, I've gained 10 pounds now. And I'm fifty I'll never years old. Lose it. I'll never lose it. It's too hard because, oh my god, I remember my mother saying to me when I think I was a teenager, "Lose it now, sweetie," because as you get older, it's going to be impossible to lose. And I'm like,
1: <gasps> right? And she didn't know any better. I mean, right. but the people you who love you are actually giving you what you think is good advice.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, it, none of it ever comes from a place of of you know, maliciousness. Right. <laughs> you know, well, you know.
0: mostly, unless most people most are living, you know, like yeah. an abusive situation or right. something. But
1: but a lot of it doesn't come from a place of where somebody's trying to tell you something yeah. that's mean. Exactly. Like, let's, let's play with my kid. Let's screw with my kid's head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So,
0: wow. All right. So that that's amazing that you, you know, and, and this is the, the beautiful thing, I think, about awareness itself is that, We can have these subtle experiences, and we're not really tying it all together yet for a while, and then all of a sudden, there's one or two bigger experiences or just more profound experiences that all of a sudden kind of click, and we begin to tie all those dots, you know, kind of uh, connect all those dots together, and all of a sudden, we're going, oh, my God, how did I not ever see this before?
1: Well, and I think I was in a way lucky when I, at the time I encountered this woman whose leg healed because I was on my way out. I had already, you know, a normal doctor and even me, let's say a year previous would have said, okay, patient healed, check, move on because there's, you know, because you're moving too fast to reflect. Right. Right. And because I had already started, you know, I was, I had one foot out the door I could say, wow, this is this is where I'm going. Yeah. So was it
0: all along the way that you think that those were starting to be the indicators for you that stress and health were related? Because you didn't, at this point, you hadn't healed the pain in your hip yet, had you?
1: Uh, no, I don't think I had that happened li- that happened not long afterward but
0: not long that- after so you're having these kinds of experiences where little subtle and bigger awarenesses are coming and you're starting to connect these dots you've made your you know res- you've put in your resignation where was the point then do you think that you really started to recognize that health and stress were so interconnected that it then became more the catalyst for you to really kind of go in that direction now?
1: So uh, what happened was I, I hit the research and I started to look at research that had been done on stress. And a lot of it's from the psychological standpoint, which, you know, doctors don't really like, but, but (laughs) looking, (laughs) looking at Really, just going back and looking at the research, and this is where the epigenetics, which you love and I love, I, you know, I you know re- went back and read not just Dr. Bruce Lipton's book, The Biology of Belief, but go back and read his papers, which yeah. I, you know I can I can go back and read them because I can read the language, and it's like, I
0: know me too. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, right,
1: yeah, wow, like yeah. like there is some there is something incontrovertible here um, that on a cellular level the cellular quote unquote environment is the hormone and neurotransmitter soup that we sit in and so if we're creating a hormone and neurotransmitter soup around us that is full of stress hormones we're going to have a very very different cellular outcome
0: yeah and and so was there one particular experience or moment where it just became like in The middle of this research and your own experiences, where all of a sudden there was just this—I don't know—I guess we'll say—huge kind of light bulb moment.
1: All right, all right, so all right, we're going to go there because here we're going to go way out on the woo-woo end of thing, which is cool. I mean, because here,
0: you know, and and thank you for that for being willing because you know, and I want to address you all now. This is the reality. This show is about keeping it real. This show is about bringing on guests who have such a variety of backgrounds that you may not understand why this marketing person is on. Or or maybe, well, of course, Elizabeth, she's a physician and stress-related, and we all need that. But you may not understand why I have a different guest on. But if you pay attention to like what Elizabeth is going to share now... We can sit there and say, oh, it's woo-woo, or oh, it's medical, or oh, it's this or it's that. But the point is, is that we're human. And in our human condition, we have all these facets to us. And so I think it's really important, like, like Elizabeth has been and is, to be open to the fact that it's a little of a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we need to listen to that. So I want, yeah, I want to hear the, I want to hear okay. that out on the piece. yeah, yeah.
1: So I wish I could say that that I had like reasoned this out, but here's what happened. I was dating a man during this time. As I'm getting better, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I've forgiven my husband, so I'm not holding back. And like, you know, nice guy comes into my life, and he dumps me. Okay, like, out of the blue, he dumps me. And we'd been dating for about 10 months. And I thought, oh, this is really going somewhere. And I was in such horrifying pain. It was just awful. And so I did, my my go-to thing for pain was go to a yoga class. And so the night after he dumped me, I decided I was going to go to a yoga class I don't normally go to. And it's one of these super duper power yoga, sweat it out classes. I liked the teacher, it, but I didn't normally go to this one. And so I go to the class and I completely surrender. I, oh. don't, I don't say, oh, this is too hard, oh, I can't keep up. Everyone in the room is half my age. And, and <laughs> you know, like everybody in my room is half my age and I just keep going. They're all sweating and down in child's pose and I'm going. I'm going yeah. to do everything she says. All right. For a little while, all of that pain and worry goes away because I'm completely surrendered to the yoga practice. But at the end of the practice, in the Shavasana, and for those of you who don't practice yoga, Shavasana is the little nap at the end. You, know, you lie in corpse pose on your back and just relax and let it happen. And I was actually at the beginning of Shavasana feeling a sense of calm and peace. And then all of the pain came back. It's like, how could, I, you know, how could I be dumped? How could it happen? Uh. And then... I started getting crushing chest pain. That elephant on the chest pain, that is real. Oh, yeah. I was like, holy crap. I might be dying here. I might be having a heart attack. And, in, and, and sort of my awareness sort of splits into three different parts. Part of me is the doctor who's going, all right, she needs the you know, following enzymes taken and give her some nitroglycerin and let's give her some morphine. And I'm I'm like working myself up. I'm reading my EKG <laughs> and I'm like, like, like I haven't, I'm a dermatologist. I haven't treated anyone for a heart attack in years, but I know what to do. And I right. was like, I was working myself up. Another part of me was. Sort of saying, this might be the end. I haven't kissed my kids goodbye. Like, oh, like wow. you know, yeah. like, oh. And then a third part of me was just observing and, you know, just sort of watching this whole thing. And so at a certain point, I decided, I, I, I became aware that my heart was beating very slowly and very, very difficult to, for it to contract. Really, it was just I, like I could like feel my heart beating and I was having a very hard time breathing. And finally, I thought, all right, I'm going to have to get somebody's attention. And, and time meant no- nothing here. Time was going really, really slowly. I'm going to have to get somebody's attention. I'm going to have to open my eyes and try to make a sound so somebody will see me. And so I opened my eyes and on the ceiling of the yoga studio, my life flashes by. Wow like, like, but like storyboard for a movie like like if you've ever seen storyboards for a movie, that's what it was it was like sim- specific incidents, and what was really interesting was it wasn't all the triumphs that was going by. I mean, the triumphs were in there, but the things that were pausing was you know the horrible things, you know, the alcoholic father, the depressed and narcissistic mother, the husband who cheated on me, the disappointments with my work, like all of the good things like, you know, graduations and childbirth and stuff like that. Those were sliding by, but the others, all of that pain right up to the moment that Stephen, who the guy I see had dumped me was all laid out And I suddenly looked at it and I said, okay, I can decide I'm dying or I can look at this and realize it's beautiful and I'm supposed to be here and it's Mm. perfect. Mm. And when I made that choice, I'm going to start crying because it was so profound. The pain completely went away. And that feeling of well-being, a feeling of well-being that um, I had never felt before came in. Just just amazing well-being, and uh, I thought it was unattainable <laughs> in a human body. And, you know, so I got up, and I walked out, and I was a little bit shaken by what had just happened, but I, there was no chest pain. And I didn't go to the ER. I did see a doctor later, and they, you know, I didn't say, oh, uh, something weird happened to me. <laughs> like, yeah. can you check my heart? And they were like, you're fine. You're fine, something Yeah. Happened. Wow. And and so that, so if you're asking that moment where I can look at the stress and, you know, like what was that moment where I said stress is really related to health, when I was able to look at all of that horrible stuff that happened and look at it as beautiful, it, it, it all melted away.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing I mean, that, you know, that is so profound because, you know, and and we can hear stories like that in all walks of life around many different things where there is these one or these very profound moments that kind of wake us up to something. What I love is that, you know, you had this bit of experience as a yoga instructor, you have this bit of experience in, in the yogic field and in the kind of alternative, as we'll say alternative quote unquote kind of modalities. But as a as a medically and classically trained physician, you know, you're you're open and yet you're still having these issues. And that there's these physiological things happening. And then all of a sudden, it like there's a a a big light bulb moment that allows you this deeper awareness that puts you on now a, a bit of a different path and quest. So Okay, so first, what are some of the things? Because you talk about the crushing pain and, and the heaviness and the difficulty breathing and the panic attacks and the physical things we feel with that. What are some of the physical and and kind of health things that are affected in the body? One, so twofold question. Sorry, yeah, I kind of oh, doing yeah. it a roundabout it. way here. Okay. But- yeah. Because this is an area of specialty for me, too. I used to be in my community. I was known as the stress expert. So I love this topic. But this is what's interesting is we have different you know, ways we, we come toward it, right? Right. So what are, one, are some of the physiological things that people can feel from stress itself? And two, what are some of the health issues that then can manifest from that when they are under stress over a long period, whether it's low level?
1: Or high level stress. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I think I'm gonna answer your question number two first. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So so really everything has some sort of stress component as far as physical illness. You know, it affects how your immune system works. So you might get a flu or a cold, but how well you shake it off, are you even really affected? Is it a runny nose for 12 hours or is it the full-on flu? That your immune system is so affected that your stress levels will make colds worse. Mm. Things like, um, we talked about heart disease, high blood pressure, it affects how the heart gets oxygen. You know, the the, stress will affect the blood flow all over the body and basically constricts blood flow to vital organs in general. And... Then decreases your ability to digest food, filter blood it, through your liver or your kidney, and even—and this is really important—send the right amount of oxygen to your frontal lobe of your brain, which can. Mm. So when you're really stressed out, you're really starving your brain of oxygen. Wow. If you're not breathing fully, if you're breathing shallowly, not only are you not taking in oxygen, you're not expelling carbon dioxide. People talk about like I need to have an alkaline system. Well, just breathe more deeply, and you'll expel your carbon dioxide that's causing your blood to be more acidic. Like that, it's simple as that. Wow. Yeah.
0: See, simple things sometimes are the (laughs)
1: best. Right. So there's. I actually recently looked up the top ten causes of 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 death in the United States, and every single one of them, including unintentional accidents, there is evidence that stress plays a role in all of them. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Unintentional accidents, higher when, when you're under stress.
0: My uncle just turned 80 on January 23rd, and we had this 80th birthday party for him yesterday. And um, well, we went to it. We didn't have it for him. Anyway, they, they had it. Anyway, he did a little speech and and his speech was basically here's how I've lived 80 years and it was all about positivity now that doesn't mean he didn't have negative things in his life he didn't get angry he didn't have stress he didn't have heartache but and he really the speech was really about kind of what you're talking about an anti-stress thought process like mm-hmm. he said you know i don't know how he said it exactly but just take for example kind of off the cuff here you know of course i had challenges and heartaches and things through the years but i chose to look at it through a different lens right right yeah. and so that has diminished his stress and he's 80 and he doesn't really have that many medical issues at all
1: exactly i mean yeah so the other half of the question you asked me or the first question you asked is what shows up in people's lives as far when stress happens and, yeah and i think that is as unique as the person because for some people, they'll get migraine headaches when they're stressed. okay. I don't get headaches. I, like to, I just don't get headaches, but uh, you know, other people will get that brain fog. you know they're just not getting enough oxygen to their brain. Some people will have lots of muscle tension that leads to neck and back and shoulder pain. Uh, some people will have digestive problems, you know, like their stomachs will be upset. And speaking as a dermatologist. Many, many, many people know that if they have a tendency towards psoriasis, their psoriasis flares when they've got stress. Think of any teenager with acne. When's the acne get bad? When they've you know got tests. Like It's so common. We know it happens. And it manifests in so many different ways we just overlook it.
0: Wow. So what would you say then is a hidden cause of stress that is really common that you found
1: really the feeling that my body is in some way flawed and oh. there's nothing I can do about it
0: so it goes back to that belief
1: yeah it really goes back to that belief and when you when you can change that and and here's the thing it's not just what you think with your mind it's feeling it like i did it's having that feeling that goes along with it and part of what I do is fool people into feeling that feeling. I don't want to say fool them because it's not, but that when you're feeling that feeling of healthiness, calm, relax, tranquility, trust, whatever you want to call it, which is the opposite of feeling stressed out, it means that your body is in healing mode. It's not just a proximity that, it, like a proxy, it's like when a light bulb is on, it means there's electricity flowing. You know it, so when you're feeling that feeling of tranquility, calm, serenity, trust, your your body is healing itself. It just is.
0: So let me ask uh, you, and you obviously believe that, and we know that, you know, many of us know that, that the body has this innate capacity to heal itself. Did you believe that as a physician? Yeah. No. As you did not. So no. that is not so... so
1: yeah, that's a total, like, so when you go really? to see a regular doctor, the unspoken but philosophical undercurrent is the patient is broken, the patient is ill, and I, the doctor, have to fix them.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: And it's a total, Uh. so it's a total mind shift. Yeah. Yeah, Uh. Total, total and complete mind shift. And I actually, you know, going to go off and stand on a little soapbox here. I actually think that most of the quote unquote holistic health practitioners also come from that same mindset. So if you go see your naturopath they have that same mindset that you're there's something wrong with you and i'm going to fix you you go see a acupuncturist there's something wrong with you i'm going to fix you and and there i think there are very very few people in the health sphere who don't have that mindset whereas i'm totally different like i'm totally different like you're fine yeah i can help you find your fine yeah, you're fine. <laughs>
0: that this, this see, this blows my mind. It makes me a little sad. Not surprised, and I'm aware of it too at the same time. right That that is a common mentality. I just thought, maybe, you know, in the medical model, that when you're going through medical school, They are focusing to some degree on the fact that the body does have this innate capacity to heal itself, but we as these physicians are being trained in how to help those areas when something goes awry. And, and, you know, like myself as a therapist, I have never, I, I can't tell you the countless people I've had because as a therapist, it's, you know, very psychological and emotional reasons why they're coming to see me. And sometimes physical, but not on the medical model level, like as a physician, right? And they're like, and they'll say things like, I'm broken, fix me. And it's like, right. first of all, you're not broken. I've yep. never met a never broken, been broken. Person, Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> right. You don't need fixing. What you do need is to learn how to help yourself because you have the capacity from a mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological, physical level to, to quote unquote, fix or heal whatever is going awry, you just need the environment and the safety and the tools and the and the 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 (laughs) cheerleaders and the cheerleader, all of it to help you do that. So is that really kind of then in these awarenesses that these components were very intertwined, is that really kind of how the stress antidote system came about then?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Exactly. I love that. So how do you you know if somebody's just kind of like hey but you know I eat really healthy and I exercise and I'm pretty positive and I'm one of those affirmation people and that's that's always been my issue right like you know you look in the mirror and you're, you're so beautiful, and your brain's going, "No, you're not. You're so stupid." Exactly.
1: Right. Exactly, right. Right. Exactly. Like you're, it's choking in your throat of like you're yes. forcing that 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 feeling. Like I'm yeah, so oh if God. I just
0: say this enough, I'll believe it. But that's the key. It's the beliefs and the deeper pieces. So, if you have somebody that comes to you and says, "Yeah, but I do all this, and so I should be fine, or I should this, or I'm not that stressed," how do you kind of help then initially work with them to, to help them understand that it's much more than that?
1: Well, the, the, I do explain to them, for instance, with the eating the food. Well, I'll give, I'll give my own personal ex- experience on this. I used to run very long distances when I was really stressed because that was going to help me, right? If I run and exercise, I'm going to feel better. The whole time I would run, I would say, am I running fast enough? This is what this is slower than I was running yesterday. I really need to finish before this time because I want to get on the road before there's going to be traffic. And I can't believe I have to run this far. And oh my <laughs> goodness, what if I need to go to the bathroom? That was what was going through my head. Oh, so when oh. you eat this really good food for you, for instance, and you're thinking, is this the right thing to eat? Is this going to make me healthy? Have I have I cooked this correctly? Is this going to be enough? Like, what what if there's something better? So it's it's feeling a feeling of. I call it trust, but people don't love the idea of trusting their own body. But this feeling of trust while you're doing these healthy actions is the key. You can eat the greatest food in the world and and not get the benefit of it if everything about you is on the edge of panic.
0: And you know what? I can attest to what Elizabeth is saying and you guys need to pay attention to this. So about 11, 12 years ago, I wanted to lose some weight. So I was doing Weight Watchers and at the time they were doing these point things. Yes! And so I would save like 18 points a week for these two ice cream cones. One ice cream, Each ice cream cone was nine points. And I would eat these two ice cream cones a week as my little treat. And I saved the points, and I was losing weight. It was phenomenal. I was feeling better. I was losing weight. I felt healthier, blah, blah. Then I get mono, and I'm asleep for about two and a half months. And there was something that happened when I started to be more awake and you know, productive and back to my life again. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I want to get back on Weight Watchers and and do this again." I took the exact same menus and kind of all the structure I had set up for myself pre mono. Exact same thing, people. Exactly. I saved the, the eighteen points a week for my two little ice cream cones. But here's the difference and why I'm sharing this story: the first time, I knew I'd be okay. I could eat those ice cream cones and I'd still lose weight. This time, because I had it in my head that I had had mono and I'd been unproductive for you know a couple few months and asleep and not active, for some reason I had this thought. I remember going, should I eat these ice cream cones? Should I, oh, will I still lose weight with them? Right. Because I've been so inactive now for two and a half months. Maybe I shouldn't eat them. And guess what happened, and I'm not kidding, and you can call my husband and ask him, I did the exact same menus, the exact same points, the exact same everything and this time I wasn't losing weight. Right. And just like you said then when I shifted, I went what's going on here and I and fortunately I do reflect easily and well. I stepped back for a moment, I went within, I did some introspection and I went, oh, it's my attitude. It's my belief about these ice cream cones. Yeah. Isn't that? And so it's I love what you're doing because your system is really showing people how those beliefs, those subtle or major things right if i if I have it right, yeah your system helps to show them how those pieces can really affect their health and their stress overall right
1: exactly it's wow. funny that you mentioned this uh, I had an uncle who was this tall skinny, skinny Norwegian guy. He was, you know, uncle by marriage. He ate cookies for breakfast and drank coffee by putting a sugar cube between his teeth and drink the coffee through it. Skinny as rail as his whole life because it never occurred to him that this would be unhealthy. He was also coincidentally, according to my mother, the luckiest man she'd ever met. He would win things all the time. There was something about his lack of worry that made life go smoothly for him.
0: Wow! So if if people, I, you know, one of the questions I always ask is, what what is kind of the kick your butt moment that you experienced? And we've kind of already talked about it. It was those pieces, and that's always yeah. kind of really interwoven through our through our our time together. But if you had to give you know, the audience kind of a kick your butt kind of piece of advice, kind of like how to maneuver through that thing in their head, that inner gremlin or thought process that's stopping them with respect to stress and your work. What, what would you offer up to them?
1: Wow. Well, I'll, I'll offer something personal and let's see if I come <laughs> out with something about my work. So for me, the reflection on every time I faced a stressful decision like a big life altering stressful decision whenever i looked at the options and let me let me see if i can put it this way when i when i looked at that and i look at the decisions i made when i chose the more risky and i put risky in quotation marks option i always felt less stress and it always worked out. So, and I'll give a very specific example in deciding in my fourth year of medical school that I wanted to be a dermatologist. I mean, dermatology residencies are the cream of like, they're very, very rare. Every year at least, oh, I don't want, I, you know, at least probably half or uh, as many as 70% of the the fourth year medical students who want to be dermatologists do not get a residency spot. There are very few dermatologists trained every year. So you already have to be in the top 5% of your class or the top 10% of your class, and you have to hope that you're gonna get one of these residency spots. So when I was deciding to be a dermatologist, it was way, way, way safer to decide I'm going to be an internal medicine doctor because I liked it. It was fine. But what my heart really wanted was to be a dermatologist. And when I made the decision, I am going to go for it. And I knew that it meant I would have very little choice in where I lived because I was going to be lucky to get a spot. And so if, you know, like if, it was going to be someplace I really quote unquote didn't want to be. It might potentially screw up the relationship I was in at the time because we might be separated by a thousand or more miles. Right. But when I committed to that, instead of going well, but it'll be easier to get a job. It'll be easier to get a you know get a position. I'll be able to live where I want to. And but 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 yeah. When I made the decision that was the opposite of all those butts it worked yeah. and it worked brilliantly
0: wow so what would be then a takeaway that you would want you know my audience to really gain from our conversation today and really you know take to heart and hone in on and understand
1: well my usual takeaway for for uh, when i talk to folks is that stress is not normal and it's not healthy. It may be common. You may be accustomed to it, but it's not healthy. But then taking a a step forward into the conversation we've had, having awareness around what's causing you stress and really being able to do that self-analysis and realizing that that stress is really your butts that are kicking up and it's time to kick them.
0: <laughs> I love that. Thank you for tying that into the show. That's awesome. You're welcome. But it really is true that if we are stuck, I believe, in these mindsets, in these places of but, 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 or fear, or like my ice cream cones with the Weight Watchers thing years ago or, you know, all the different, oh, why am I running? I'm not running fast enough. I need to, this is slower than yesterday. Like if we're sitting in these judgments, if we're sitting in these belief systems that we don't even know our beliefs, but they're coming out as these thoughts in our head, they are absolutely going to create higher levels of stress and, you know, kick out stress hormones in our body. And and I always say like, Take a fish. Just visualize this, everybody. Take a goldfish. Go get a clear fish bowl with with uh, clear water, and put that fish in the fish bowl. And just keep changing the water every day. And then go take a another goldfish, buy another fish bowl, put clear water in it, and start dropping in things like a little drop of milk or a little drop of soda, or put a little dirt in there, put a little you know uh, garbage in there, and imagine that fish trying to live in that liquid environment and survive. That is what our organs are doing inside of our bodies. And so if we are raising all these stress levels and we are creating this liquid, we'll just say liquid environment, okay? Cellularly, where all of our organs and our blood and our fluids have these higher levels of stress hormones and it's filtering throughout our body. It's basically like that little goldfish that's trying to live in very cloudy water. What do you think is going to happen just from a physical level? Not even an emotional and and, and spiritual and mental level.
1: Right. You can feed it the same amount and it's just not going to thrive.
0: It's not going to thrive. So, Elizabeth, you've generously offered a free guide to the five hidden causes of stress that you can eliminate right now. and People find that at www.thestressantidote.com. That's www.t dot com. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, and that will all be listed on the show notes. And if people wanted to get in touch with you and maybe work with you or learn more about the stress antidote system and what you're doing, would they would they just go to the stressantidote.com to find you or where would they go?
1: Or they can go to my my main website is my name, dot ElizabethHughesMD.com.
0: elizabethhughesmd.com. I love that. Any final words of wisdom for the audience today?
1: You don't have to live in stress. Yes. Yes. You don't have
0: to live in stress. Pay attention. Take heed from the doctor. She's prescribing an anti-stress life. And not Hawaii. (laughs) And not Hawaii. Well, I'll take Hawaii too. Can you prescribe that for me? Darn it. Damn it. Thank you so much, Dr. Elizabeth Hughes, my friend Elizabeth. Thank you so much for being here today. It's been such an honor having you here and helping people understand about stress.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Susan. Oh, you're
0: very welcome. And and y'all, you know how much I love you and how much I appreciate that you come back week after week to kind of learn how to improve your life and step forward into your infinite possibilities. So for now, have an amazing, beautifully, infinitely possible week. And I shall see you all next week on Kick Your Butts. Ciao for now. You've been listening to Kick Your Butts, where sitting on your butts is no longer an option, figuratively and literally. To access the show notes and important links from today's episode, please visit kickyourbutts.com. While you're there, please share your Kick Your Butts story by clicking the start recording button. It might just be included in a future episode. Thanks for listening today. Now get out there and kick those butts to the curb.